This week, we have got Pro Football Focus's 49ers media correspondent, Thomas Frank Carr, here to break down the game against the Seattle Seahawks, as well as preview the game against the Arizona Cardinals. And for the rundown, we've got none other than David Newman to give us his thoughts on some of the coaching decisions, as well as what the 49ers should do to bolster the 49ers wide receivers position. Let's go. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is this year's first Womp Womp Wednesday, and it's almost Thanks-freaking-giving. It's a pretty remarkable accomplishment. Congrats to the crowd at Levi's. It certainly felt like a playoff atmosphere, and I certainly think that Levi's was baptized. And with me this week, to detail the precise technique to properly execute the Dak dance, it's Thomas Frank Carr. Yeah, I don't got any of those moves. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm as unsmooth as it comes. So I guess I'd be great at the Dak dance, but when Jimmy G was doing it, it was all over. I, I mean, couldn't I couldn't hang with that. You also had Nick Bosa doing the dance. This is the dance that's going to take over the nation. I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I'm here for it. Did you see the the uh, Drew Brees dubstep? He was doing something like this with his hands. And so he, so he had him remixing some like oh, uh, classic yes. 90s jams. It was I great. Did, I did see that. I did. Uh, I'm going to save that on the hopper for when Seth Galina comes back on and we can talk about the, the Saints and Joe Burrow. But it's uh, it's been, man. So let's get into the game because it, it's a tough one. I think a lot of Niners fans need to process it because uh, for a lot of fans, this game is like, okay, we can lose to anyone, just not the damn Seahawks. And, and that's what this game was. I mean, it was a classic, an instant classic on Monday night. The Niners, of course, lose 27 to 24. Um, and we're going to get into kind of the things that jumped out. We're going to talk about some uh, some game players or players that we thought had great games. Um, and let's get into the first thing, which is the defense. Let's start with the fun bits. Yeah, the defense, the defense they were was awesome. Pretty They're always fun to watch, aren't they? They really are, man. And, you know, they limited Seattle's vertical game, which has been a problem for the 49ers for years. I mean, you're talking slot fades. You're talking wheel routes. You're talking regular fades. All three of those made an appearance in this game from Seattle, and all three of those got shut down, uh, two by one player, and then Dre Greenlaw, of course, shutting down the wheel. Yeah, and I think it goes back to uh, everything they've been building in the offseason because that cover three defense that they're trying to bring in from Seattle, uh, when you have so much pressure to stop the fades, that's what that's built on. It's kind of limiting the deep ball and taking all that stuff away. With a pass rush now with Nick Bosa and with Eric Armstead, you actually have, uh, I think last year there was just so much room to run in the secondary. This year the clock was ticking because not only that, they were more aggressive on defense in this game as well. So it really kind of, I think, came full circle in that game as far as the defense had been legit all year, but it was like cemented it in place that this defense is absolutely for real and stopping those deep balls was a big part of that now russell wilson had just 72 yards at the half he finished with 232 yards total only the ravens defense held him to fewer yards per attempt per attempt so far this year and really it happened with the niners changing up their scheme a little and changing up their tendencies they blitzed quite a bit more often in this game they went heavy man coverage especially on third downs traditionally the niners are a zone heavy team but they blitzed about 34% of pass plays this game, which is double their normal rate. Usually they hang out like around 14, 15%. And four of the team's five sacks came on blitzes. So Robert Sala had a pretty good game plan, and that game plan neutralized Russell Wilson pretty much throughout the game, except for a couple plays here and there. But this is a player who is, at this point, still one of the leaders for the MVP. And, and he was going to get his at some point, 
the Niners still were able to put their clamps on. This defense played a really, really good game, really good enough to win. And I, I think it's commendable, too, on a short week where they broke so many tendencies because they came off the Thursday night game. I'm sorry, they had a little extra time coming off the Thursday night game. Uh, and they were able to do that because uh, you, you're right. They, they did blitz more on third down. They were more aggressive uh, from a couple of different places. And it was, like I said earlier, uh, when you play cover three, and they played a lot of cover one. So they went about 60, almost 70% cover one on third down specifically when they sent so much pressure. Those two systems are kind of similar where you have that single high safety and then your corners, instead of just bailing, they're playing a little more up. They're playing a little more aggressive. But the versatility to be able to switch to that and, and break a lot of tendencies like you just mentioned, I think caught Seattle off guard. And it was a really good plan because when you have guys like K1 Williams and Fred Warner, who are your leading sack getters in a game, when you've got 13 first round picks on the defensive line, it really, uh, I think, changed a lot in that game. And to your point about how Russell Wilson played, he had his lowest or second lowest PFF passing grade of the season. Now, this is a guy who is our odds on favor for the MVP. So this is a guy who is playing unbelievably well as both a runner and a passer, decision maker, all that stuff. He was sacked the most times in any game this year. He had 10 pass breakups through uh, what, nine games so far this year. He had five in that game alone. So they, they, uh, 50 in this game, no other team had gotten even close to that. So the effect on Russell Wilson of keeping him in the pocket, attacking him and, uh, making him uncomfortable, which is really hard to do. They did all of that and it really kept them in the game, a game where the, their offense was really struggling. And you think of the success of man coverage, and you can really see it in a couple of key plays. You, l- you look at that Sherman pass breakup on third and three in the fourth quarter. I mean, at this point, it's 21-18, and the 49ers absolutely needed a stop. Sherman gets the pass breakup on a quick slant, and those quick slants are usually pretty easy money. But Sherman's able to get his hand in there and break it up. And then, of course, you've got the Emmanuel Mosley pass breakups, which he played great on a couple of fades. And, and this is a guy who's 5'11", 185, and he's going up against yeah. DK Metcalf. And DK Metcalf, of course, probably has a pectoral muscle that's 5'11 and 185. <laughs> I mean, the dude is built like an inverted triangle. It's like it's it's pretty ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not I'm still not sure how he doesn't topple over or like bend over at the half and just fall over. When but, I was watching the game, I was like, who's that big tight end out there? Yeah, and, and the like, funniest thing is that he has a pacifier for a mouth like a mouth guard. <laughs> He kind of plays like that too. That's the that's the surprising thing. Is he's so big, and uh, the one that comes to mind for like me, <laughs> the the last the last play of the first quarter is the Emmanuel Mosley uh, pass breakup that comes to mind for me, where it's a it's a vertical route, it's a go route. Russell Wilson has a clean pocket, and uh, it's kind of a back shoulder deal, and Metcalf doesn't come back for it. Like he doesn't fight to the ball. Mosley, who who you mentioned, isn't big, but he's got really long arms, so he's got that length you need to play the cover. Uh, you know, the 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 Seattle cover two, or I'm sorry, cover three, cover one system. And he he just fought for the ball harder against DK Metcalf, who, you know, looks like Godzilla. And, well, and to be and, fair, it, uh, taken, it was really impressive. It would have taken Metcalf like about another quarter and a half to stop and turn around and come back for the ball just based on a steady going time. So he it, was it, one of my favorite play, players to watch in uh, in scouting because he's so easy like it, it's such an easy diagnosis of you like wow that guy's amazingly fast i never see him turn i never see it yeah and and it you don't see it now he's like a turning radius on a toyota prius like it's just like <laughs> it just, it's a very very wide turn very wide turn 
Uh, yeah. Great straight line. Just very, very wide turns. And really, the defense, though, it seemed like every member of the defense pitched in, though. I mean, you've got DJ Jones with the quick pressure to kill a drive early on in the game. I mean, he puts that poor center on skates. He punches him in the chest, knocks him on his ass, and all of a sudden he's in Russell Wilson's face. That's a quick pressure yeah. that's amazing. You've got Joukowsky Tart, who literally stole candy from a baby uh, when it came to taking DK Metcalf's football. You've got Fred Warner's peanut punch. He's getting really, really good at that peanut punch. He's got a couple on record where he just he's literally hunting for the ball. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a play in the preseason. I think it was against Denver where he didn't get it. But I was like, is he a boxer now? Like, is that his second career? Because he came in and he punched the ball and he didn't get it. So he tried it again. I was waiting all season for one of those. And he came in and he got one. Uh, so persistence pays off. Yeah. And, and uh, the, it's not his first one that he's gotten this year either. He's gotten it a couple times on his four samples. I mean, he definitely goes for it. But you mentioned DJ Jones. Uh, he is the most impressive two plays the last two weeks where – you have probably the most dangerous open field runners outside of Lamar Jackson in Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. And he, he ran them down. He broke the angle that Russell Wilson had uh, when he escaped the pocket. And, and he did that kind of shovel pass to lock it. And then he brings down um, Kyler Murray in the open field on Thursday night football. And he's the nose tackle. Like that's not supposed to happen. But it does. Cause DJ Jones is good. <laughs> He moves yeah. well for a big man. It sucks that he's now got a yeah. groin injury, of course, and he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. And so yeah. now you're going to have uh, you're going to have some other folks fill in. But he definitely has played very, very good in spots where he's needed to. But I think the play for me that really was just like, OK, this is this is awesome. This is great. Is Dre Greenlaw, that overtime interception, because yeah. to me, that was a great individual play from Dre Greenlaw on a route from a quarterback that just traditionally kills the 49ers because you've got the 49ers on their heels. I mean, it's overtime. It looks like this game yeah. is getting very soon to over. And the Niners are in a single high look. Seattle calls a post wheel with the receiver running a post. And what that does is it occupies that single high safety and the wheel comes behind it from the tight end. Now there it, it, Sherman's in his own, right? That running, that tight end is running straight at Sherman. Sherman kind of goes with the post right a little bit, does a speed turn very slowly, really over to the tight end. That's easy money at this point. You, you see you see the recognition from Russell Wilson. He throws that pass. That is a touchdown for Russell Wilson 99% of the time. And Dre Greenlaw, he ends up going out, getting some depth, keeping his eyes in a really, really disciplined area. He has an, He's got a, a conflict defender because he's got someone in the flat that he's responsible for, but he's able to sink. He's able to jump and make the interception and absolutely save the game. That should have been the defensive play that saved the game for the 49ers that really propelled them to victory. Ultimately, you don't get that from the kicker, but it was a play that deserved that kind of, uh, it was a, a great individual play that really deserved some, some really, really positive accolades because it was, it was a solid play from Greenlaw. The interesting thing about Dre Greenlaw is, is when I was looking over his stuff when they drafted him, uh, he's a thumper. He's a kind of a classic two down linebacker. Everything from him, uh, you know, in college was there was a couple of games where he had a, a, a couple of picks throughout his career, but most of it was just kind of subpar leading and stops really good in run defense, always had a good run defense grade in college. And then he comes out and does that and, and, and just has that game where he puts something like that on film. That's going to be an intriguing thing going forward because he provides a presence in the running game that I think is something they could use. Coverage is more important. Let me let me just say that uh, the coverage they lose from Quan Alexander, that was going to be the biggest question going into this game. And then the guy who 
we're wondering what's his what's his ability in the in the pass game. And then he provides the second interception of Russell Wilson in the season. It was amazing to watch. I was like, that guy makes that play? Look at that. That I mean, that's the kind of season that the 49ers defense is having, though. Because as you mentioned, everybody's making plays, everyone's in position. And when they make the play, it's not like a an almost sort of thing. They they're getting the ball, they're getting to uh, the quarterback, and and everything's turning up for them this year. Almost completely opposite from last year, where they got no turnovers, they got no luck with the ball. They're getting all of the luck because they're putting themselves in position to succeed. And it's really cool that Dre Greenlaw, the rookie who's not really a coverage guy, gets that interception. And of course, that was Russell Wilson's first ever career red zone interception, if you can trust the broadcast from last year or from uh, from, <laughs> from Monday night. But let's talk about the not so fun stuff, because quite frankly, the passing offense was an absolute disaster. It was a mess. And, and there were certainly some mitigating circumstances. I mean, not having George Kittle and eventually Emmanuel Sanders leaving the game definitely hurt the 49ers in two drives with Emmanuel Sanders. They had eight and a half yards per attempt and they got 10 points. This is the part of the game where it looked like the Niners were on their way to really win. It looked winning. like they're rolling. Oh, yeah. 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 It looked like, okay, they've gotten a couple stops. Seattle could not do a single thing. And now you've got San Francisco ready to really blow this game wide open. Emmanuel Sanders goes out. You've got 13 drives without Emmanuel Sanders, four and a half yards per attempt, six points. Now, yeah. and, and that's something to definitely consider, but it's not the only reason that passing offense was not great. So I, I would say that out of the gate, you, you see Jimmy Garoppolo throw a turnover worthy play right out of the right out of the gate of the game where he had one pretty bad read. Um, when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, he's really fascinating as a quarterback because, yeah, he was he was dealt a short deck this this uh, week when you lose Emmanuel Sanders. So they have played without Emmanuel Sanders for a long time. Obviously, they only traded for him a couple of weeks ago, but they went in with the game plan of using Emmanuel Sanders. So that's a big thing of like, okay, they get both their tackles back. They are going to, I think the plan was to be a little more aggressive this game and to uh, push the ball down the field a little more with Emmanuel Sanders, do some more complex stuff. And then not only does Emmanuel Sanders go out, but everyone knows about Jadavian Clowney. I don't think anyone expected him to have 11 pressures and take over a game like that because he's always been able to, but the book has always been that he doesn't. And in that game, when you got two tackles coming back, you could see as the game went on, things got progressively more and more conservative. You mentioned uh, yards per attempt going in half. Jimmy Grapple's time to throw in the fourth quarter in overtime was three-tenths of a second shorter than it was to start the game. So they were throwing quick stuff, trying to get the ball out. Even on some of those like now plays where they fake the handoff and he's got the the slant over here and Jadavian Clowney does the, the jump up in front of you and, and on nearly pick the ball off. That play is designed so that he's not a part of the game and he just blows right by McGlinchey, gets in the passing lane, and, and Garoppolo has to spike it. So the the game plan clearly was affected by Emmanuel Sanders, but there was a lot of other stuff that Seattle was doing as well that was affecting the game plan. And I think that really limited, because of what they were trying to do to start the game, what they had game plan for, kind of the opposite of uh, the defense, where they had a great game plan and they had extra time and they executed it. And then Kyle Shanahan has a lot of stuff. And he said post game, it's like when you don't have those guys in there, when you don't have Emmanuel Sanders, you don't have the same confidence to call the plays that you wanted to. So you have to adjust. And that had, uh, you know, obviously a significant impact on the game. They, they really, other than the two point conversion, it, it felt like they really didn't have any points 
in the in the second half. I know that they drove down and got the field goal, but their most effective plays came in the first two drives. And and after that, it was really just finding something in the secondary, finding something, and, and it was tough to find most of the night. Yeah, ultimately, I think Mike McGlinchey did not have a great game. He allowed five pressures and a sack. He consistently got beat by Clowney to the inside. It didn't matter whether... Usually tackles have one of three different sets that they'll use. They'll use like a jump set where they'll try to get out into the the defensive lineman. They'll do that like on, on play action passes or plays where they want to make it look like it's run action. You've got a 45 degree set, which sounds exactly like what it is. You go out to about 45 degrees uh, or you've got a vertical set. And that's the more typical one that you'll see where it looks like the tackle's going straight back, hence the name vertical, right? And yeah. any, any time McGlinchey got anywhere near a 45 degree set, Clowney was moving inside uh, and he yeah. was consistently winning to the inside. And, and I think that Clowney definitely disrupted things, but I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo made things easy on himself either. I mean, he was charged with four pressures and two sacks as well. A lot of it being that he just was moving into pressure, getting out of uh, the lanes that, that the pocket was really protecting for him. And, and he does seem a little skittish in the pocket. Um, and, and I think that is something that, yes, there definitely were protection issues, but there were also some issues that really went on Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's taking even the, turn, the turnover-worthy throws outside of it. Yeah, and he's talked about wanting to be more aggressive in, in the Kyle Shanahan system, that they want to push the ball down and be more aggressive with it. And I think his mentality coming into the game was um, wanting to do that. So when you get in that situation, he seems to have that hang-in-the-pocket sort of mentality. And the success that he had last week when he hung in the pocket and he sidestepped and he moved up and he was able to find third downs and check downs and get the, you know, into a game winning drive uh, or close out the game, sorry, against uh, the Cardinals. I think he wanted to do that and he wanted that to be a part of the game and then had to admit halfway through the game, okay, we can't do that. We got to go back to the short stuff we were doing when we didn't have McGlinchey and we didn't have Staley. So that probably was one of those things that you kind of had to, through the game, mentally adjust to the fact that we now have to play differently, differently than we wanted to. And, you know, human error comes into the, a lot of this, too, as far as, like, he wants to prove on Monday Night Football against Russell Wilson who he is. And th- those mistakes have been consistent with Jimmy Garoppolo throughout his PFF grading. We talk about um, big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays. Last week, he was really good at avoiding... Uh, turnover-worthy plays. He only had one turnover-worthy play, but he doesn't generate a ton of big-time throws. And the the script really flipped on him uh, on Monday Night Football where he had five turnover-worthy plays in that game and only one big-time throw. So uh, when the pressure got to him, he did not respond well. And you saw in the fourth quarter when he was trying to drive the, the, the team down the field, almost gave the game away twice on that drive. Yeah. And, and that's one of those situations where you look at that and and that gives you pause to wonder because we still are learning about what Jimmy Garoppolo is and we're finding out more and more as we dive into you know some of the the passing that he, uh, the the throws he's made we thought he was risk averse we thought he was a safe quarterback not necessarily game manager but a guy who avoids mistakes and usually only has positive throws what we're finding is he he's taking more chances but the 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 turnover worthy plays are there the big time throws are not there so far. And this is where I thought having both tackles back would change that where they get to be a little more aggressive. They can hold up a little longer and Jadavian Clowney wrecked that almost immediately in that game. So I think that's one of those things where you expect one thing coming in and the reality is uh, what we find out later. And it is that 
Jimmy Garoppolo, he, he puts the ball in harm's way more than we thought it would. You know, I, I do think you're right that the plan was to be a bit more aggressive and play more down or have more downfield shots. You look at the overall time to throw for the game, and, and you're right, it did get shorter in the second half. But still, even for this game, it was about 2.52 seconds, which is yeah. kind of fast. But yeah. that's still the, the longest he's held on to the ball in the pocket so far this year. Everything else this year, especially when you're talking about having the two backup tackles, has been in like the 2.1, 2.2 range, which is just completely ridiculous lightning fast. But yeah, basically, it's catch and throw at that point. Yeah. But but the thing with Jimmy Garoppolo that, that really is concerning to me is, is the idea of this roller coaster, right? And, and the roller coaster where some games you're going to see the games like he had last week against Arizona. But the, the issues for me that are problematic are indeed these turnover-worthy throws that they're not just like, oh, man, that was close. They're just like, oh, man, that was really, really bad. They and, were really bad, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime. Yeah. He had two turnover-worthy throws in the fourth quarter and overtime. And that's when you're supposed to be playing your best. That's when you're Jimmy G supposed to be ice water in his veins, cool, calm, collected. And I never want to say, I never want to give like a personal statement of like the moment was too big for him because I, I think that that's a lot of projection, but you could see physically in the pocket. He looked uncomfortable as soon as he had to make plays. And and that's concerning. And yeah, that's one of those things where we hadn't seen him in that situation a lot. And when we did, it didn't look good. I don't think for me it's it's a matter of the moment being too big or too small because he's been in big moments before. And granted, they've been at the scale of for, the moments that the 49ers have been in. But he's been in moments where he's had to really put the team on his shoulders and perform when the lights are, are kind of on him. For me, I think the, the pattern is pretty is becoming pretty clear. And the pattern is when he's got to come and check down to an underneath receiver and he moves quickly and trusts that his receiver is going to be there and he doesn't account for an underneath defender. Or there's not communication between the wide receiver and they kind of tend to float up field. When you look at the the first quarter and the it was the, the ball that actually got it was intercepted, but because of a penalty, it was basically, you know, waved off. That's still a really, really bad decision from Garoppolo. And what happens there is similar kind of thing. He tries to get it to Emmanuel Sanders, but he gets undercut once again by the defender, and Emmanuel Sanders floats up field. All of a sudden you've got a pick. You look at the two interceptable balls in the fourth quarter. And the first one, it's something very, very similar, right? He's going to an underneath route, and yeah. he allows the defender to undercut the route. Similar kind of thing, right? These are different than the kind of I'm throwing out to an out route, and I just kind of throw it to the inside. This is like you should see the defender there. On one of them, the, the, the Seattle Seahawks are in cover two. You've got a hook defender right there underneath. You should see that on that seam route, there should be a linebacker there. Everything about that structure of the defense tells you there's a hook defender right here. And yet Garoppolo basically is looking to his left and then peels off to the right and throws the ball super quick. And all of a sudden you've got a linebacker there. And, and luckily that linebacker drops the ball. I think those are the things that are concerning, but it is a roller coaster, right? On the season now, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo with a, I think somewhere north of a four and a half percent turnover worthy play percentage, which is not great. Once you approach that yeah. kind of 5% area, that's where you're into like the, oh, that's like near the bottom of the league. You don't want to be there kind of area. And, and you're right. He's not pairing it with, with big time throws. But you look at the game that he had against the, the Cardinals and you're like, yeah, but his highs are really high. He's just got to, he's got something that's making him uncomfortable in the pocket. And when he gets more of that discomfort, I think that's when you see some of his problems exacerbated where he really trusts his arm or maybe doesn't trust his receivers. And so, you know, this is not to say that the, the book is written on Jimmy Garoppolo. It certainly isn't. 
But these are the types of things that you want to just keep watching for as he continues to develop within the Shanahan system. Now, ultimately, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have a good game, but I do think that Jimmy Garoppolo did enough to win the game as long as those interceptable passes don't get caught because he was still hitting wide receivers in the hands at times where they needed to get hit in the hands and the wide receivers just flat out blew it. I mean, the you stat- talk about a you talk about a roller coaster. Are we going to mention Kendrick Bourne and his drops? Because yeah. one moment he looks like a guy who's never going to drop another ball ever and make some insane catches. And then you see what you saw on Monday night. It's that there's a lot of roller coasters on that offense. You know, Shanahan said that, that Bourne has some of the best hands that he's seen, you know, and all of a sudden yeah. I've got echoes of Jim Harbaugh saying that Michael Crabtree is like, you know, has, is the best pass catcher that he's ever seen in his life. And it's like, Oh, okay, Jim Harbaugh, whatever. Um, but you know, I, I think about ultimately how he says it's a concentration thing for Kendrick Bourne. This has been an issue that's played Kendrick Bourne now for his entire career is just inconsistent hands. And if that's concentration, well, then cool. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And that's right. really too bad because ultimately I think the the drops from Kendrick Bohr ended up costing the team, you know, probably seven points on, on that interception from Jimmy Garoppolo. That was not his fault, unlike the ones that were dropped. But then ultimately right. near the end of the game, he catches, he should catch a ball for a first down in the red zone that should set the Niners up for the game winning touchdown. And instead he drops it uh, and the Niners have to settle for not the game winning touchdown. Overall, the wide receivers had nine total drops, many of which killed drives directly or indirectly. Um, And I mean, you've got Pettis, who's the second round draft pick. He's invisible. Kyle Shanahan comes out and says, quote, the more he doesn't take advantage of his opportunities, the less opportunities he gets. End quote. That's not looking good from a man, Dante Pettis. Uh, You know, so I think overall, yes, Jimmy Garoppolo had a bad game, but he did enough. He should have done enough to get the Niners in a position to win, and his wide receivers absolutely let him down. Yeah, so I, I, I made this comment during the game. It's not like they've tried to – it's not like they've ignored this. So you think about the, the whole offseason, even Jordan Matthews they signed. They draft two receivers, and they trade for Emmanuel Sanders. And out of those four moves, they have one Debo Samuel at this moment. So everyone who – I see a lot of – so we put out a uh, PFF put out a uh, mock draft where I believe it was a Texas offensive tackle at thirty uh, second overall pick because Joe Staley going to be out again with a broken finger. He's north of thirty five years old. That kind of idea of re you know putting more investments into a strength. They've invested a lot in the receiving core and and a lot of fans want more receivers and it's like. How many more can you get? Like, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of unluck that's go- bad luck that's going uh, into this. A lot of kind of unlucky things, even down to Trent Taylor having another foot injury. Um, and, and when you when you have Emmanuel Sanders and I didn't see contact on the injury, might have happened previously when he got his helmet ripped off. But when he just puts his hand up and then he has a rib injury, there's a lot of bad luck that goes there. At the same time, Russell Wilson didn't have Tyler Lockett in overtime, and he didn't start throwing the football to the defense. He made the correct read. He made the correct play. He got them into position to win. And I understand the drops are an issue, but Jimmy Garoppolo has not been the solution. And I think that has been that, especially on Friday night, I'm sorry, on on Monday night, that was the biggest issue is Jimmy Garoppolo, when he could have been the solution, did looked a little shaky and you want to see more consistency in that moment. Yeah. You know, the one wide receiver that did provide a little bit of spark was Debo Samuel. Um, and Debo Samuel took probably the most advantage of his opportunities, but even he had a drop when he let the ball get into yeah. his chest because he oftentimes lets the ball get into his chest. But I think he avoided four tackles after reception, which is like a yep. Kittle-esque number. Uh, at that point, 
Your, uh, Kittle actually did that the week before, where he avoided four uh, tackles after reception. And, and really, no one else has really approached that so far this year for the 49ers. So Debo is showing exactly why the team drafted him. It's, it's that run after the catchability, and, and it showed off there. But, you, you know, I think you're absolutely right. What's frustrating is when, when Russell Wilson is running around and he's throwing the ball, and you've got Malik Turner, who's doing his best Lamar Jackson impression with a spin move, and Jacob Hollister, who's channeling his inner David Tyree with like a helmet grab in the end zone. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know exactly how the Niners fix that issue, but they do, I think, still need to put more resources into that position because at this point, they don't have too, too many holes on the roster. And if they can get wide receiver or pass catcher right, um, then that will go a long way, I think, to helping uh, Jimmy Garoppolo look quite a bit better. Now, It'll be interesting to see what they have in Jalen Hurd, too, because we really haven't seen a whole lot outside of the preseason. Uh, I know he had a couple of issues with drops and some concentration issues, but he is uh, such an interesting athlete that I don't want to write that off. Now, you've got a couple of guys on the roster that I question. I've, I've been watching Marquise Goodwin since he was in Buffalo. I don't I don't know what he's providing the offense right now. His His grades have been terrible, and he's been getting less and less playing time. But again, they went out and got Emmanuel Sanders to replace that. So uh, the the resources they've invested, and you should always be trying to find good corners and good receivers. So don't don't mistake me uh, saying that they shouldn't. But to make it like a, it almost sounds to some people like a trade up scenario. Like we're only missing this. And I think the important thing to remember is that's the point of a franchise quarterback is that you want to have a really good receiver, and you have one in Emmanuel Sanders, you have one in George Kittle. And when that happens, Jimmy Garoppolo has looked good. But the point of a franchise quarterback, at least in my opinion, is those guys like Traquan Smith for, um, you, you look at at, at uh, um, New Orleans, and the, the number of guys, Ted Ginn Jr., that have been there, that are effective in that offense. And Kyle Shanahan has gotten these receivers open. There seems to be some disconnect with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't, and that's kind of the thing that I'm, that you look at and you go, what is the ceiling? Because obviously the highs are high with Jimmy Garoppolo, but the consistency in that floor, that has to be hammered out quickly because this defense is built to win now. You, it would, it would be a shame to waste that while you're still trying to figure out, is it the receivers or is it the quarterback? Because the answer should be, it's the quarterback. That's why you paid him. Now, ultimately the loss does suck. I mean, this is not good for the team overall, especially in the NFC playoff race. But uh, I tweeted this out a little earlier, and you know, we, we've got a crack research department here on the Better Rivals podcast, and it turns out that every Super Bowl winner, except for one, the 72 Dolphins, has lost in the regular season. So this loss certainly does not... These guys are good. I know. I know. They're really, really good. We pay them a lot. Uh, we keep them in dark rooms with no lights, but we, we, we do pay them handsomely. Uh, Very good. Per, per stat nugget. It's, it's a per nugget uh, type of deal. But uh, ultimately, the Niners were still a field goal away from winning this game. Despite all of that, they were a missed field goal from winning this game. They're still in the driver's seat for the number one seed because they do control their own destiny. They play Green Bay. They play New Orleans. Those are the teams basically other than Seattle who are really contending for that number one overall seed in the NFC. And if the Levi's crowd can continue to be like it was in this game, which it really did feel like a playoff game. And you could hear the chance on the broadcast. Uh, Tim Kawakami had a great article in The Athletic talking about how this may have been the game and the moment that really defined and began to cement what Levi's, the Levi's atmosphere should be. I mean, right. th these are all really, really positive things. So yes, the loss stings. Yes, it sucks. But the Niners are still in a really, really good place. 
They are eight and one. They can still win this division. This makes it a little bit tougher, but they're still able to control their own destiny and get to the playoffs, which is exactly where I think they will end up at the end of the year. So all that so being def- said, they'll definitely end at the end of the playoffs. I'd say the, the one thing is um, we have them with the toughest schedule to end the season. You just mentioned the good news is they can go through all those teams and they can sort it out themselves. At the same time, they do have the second hardest remaining schedule in the league. So that the playoff uh, chances are, are rock solid at eight and one. That's why those eight wins against the soft part of the schedule are super important. You don't want to discredit the fact that they looked really good against bad teams and they blew them out and, and they got to eight. No, that being said, that set up the second half of the schedule. So to expect another run like that on the other side, the likelihood is just lower. And, and I don't know what the odds of winning the division are. Cause it changes after Seattle wins that game. That's a big game. As far as the odds for winning the division, the PFF forecast is going to obviously is going to have a lot on that uh, with George Chihuri and Eric eager. So if you want to find mo- out more about that stuff, you can definitely check out the, the forecast because they're going to have, all of that stuff because um, it's super interesting because this is one of the toughest divisions in, in the entire NFL. And it's going to be changing, I think, week to week with the number of, of quality teams that are in the division. Yep, I think you're absolutely right. I, I still think ultimately, though, this is not uh, this is the story the Niners get to write themselves. And, yeah. and ultimately, they have the ability to win and not win those games. And it would be different if they didn't play those teams where they didn't have that piece from these games remaining on their schedule. Absolutely don't think they're going to finish with another eight win run. But even if they end the season, uh, the back end of the season, if they drop games to Green Bay and they drop games to New Orleans and maybe even Baltimore, that still puts them at four losses on the season. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden so, they've got that week 17 tilt against the uh, the, the Seattle Seahawks at the end of the year. And, and now you're talking about an 11 five wildcard team. And, and even then, that's that's still a place to be in the playoffs. Once you're there, as Eli Manning will tell you. All bets are off. And while yeah, the, the, that, that the, last game does scream flex to Sunday night football, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so I think that this is this is one of those things where, like, yes, you would love to win it. But this is not a team that got blown out. This is not a team that was no. outclassed. This is a team that had some serious issues on Monday night and still had one of the most exciting games at Levi Stadium, I think, probably ever. Um, so I think in context, there are things to work on. And hopefully those players like Sanders and Kittle come back. But this is still a very, very good team, and they should still be near the top of the AFC. Or I'm sorry, the NFC at the end of the year. Now, ultimately, yeah. player of the game. Who was a player that you thought really excelled uh, in the game? You know, I Jaquiski Tart was our highest graded player uh, in the game. He had an elite grade in that game and was fantastic, not only in run defense but especially in coverage. And for for the safe for the strong safety to, to have that, that's awesome. But I just love Kwan Williams. I love his ability in the slot. When forced three fumbles, and you t- we talked about how they changed up their scheme. They they were a little more aggressive. It wasn't just on passing downs they were blitzing. They were run blitzing as well. And he forced a fumble on that play uh, that uh, I think DeForest Buckner recovered. Without his ability in the slot, I he's been doing it all year too. His coverage grade wasn't super great, but he. He covered Tyler Lockett. You were talking about the, the, the deep game earlier in, in the podcast. They do a lot of that from the slot with Tyler Lockett. He's one of the most prolific receivers from the slot. He leads in slot receiving yards up until this game. He had uh, two catches for 19 yards against K1 Williams, and that's just in coverage. You add in the fact that he was a plus blitzer, and his run defense has always been good. He allows 
Uh, I think the fewest or second fewest yards per snap in coverage from the slot, the versatility, it's such an underrated position in football, that slot coverage and that slot receiver. And it was, it was good on good. And Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett got shut down. So to me, the player of the game is Kwan Williams, his ability to affect the game pretty much in every facet. Even if he wasn't our highest graded guy, I think he had the most impact on the game overall. And I, I just, I love watching guys like that who can do everything and are just really tenacious. He's fun to watch. You know, for me, it was Emmanuel Mosley. He was definitely targeted quite a bit more than they targeted Richard Sherman. It was clear mm-hmm. their, their plan was not to throw at Richard Sherman. And, and instead, all those targets went to Mosley. He had 10 tackles. Seven of them were solo. So he was still a force coming up on the sideline. Targeted 10 times. He had three pass breakups. And of course, we've already talked about how he was able to play some really, really solid defense against the big baby DK Metcalf. And, and really, that, that defense against back shoulder throws, it's really, really difficult for a corner because that's basically an unstoppable play. Aaron Rodgers has basically made his money on this for years. What do you have to do if you're a defender and you're guarding that back shoulder throw? You got to stick with your man. You got to play through his hands. Don't turn your back and don't interfere. Sounds easy when I'm telling you about it on a podcast. When you actually have to do that at full speed with someone who outweighs you by 40 or 50 pounds, that's really, really hard to do. And Emmanuel Mosley did it several times. And this is a dude who, again, is not a highly drafted prospect. Someone who is probably going to lose his starting job, unfortunately, when Akella Witherspoon comes back. But the Niners, you know, their big concern was whether they would have depth at corner. And I think over these last few weeks, Emmanuel Mosley has shown that they do have some good depth at corner. And if any of the other uh, cornerbacks goes out for an extended period, there's no reason why you don't think Emmanuel Mosley can slot in and play and hold up really, really well. Uh, the interesting thing, I did a little bit of digging on him because there's been there's a couple of times that he doesn't look as good as he does on those uh, fades. And it goes back to what they're looking for in the scheme and, and that cover one and cover three. You're you're playing the sideline a lot. So you're really aggressive in anything if you're in zone coverage that's in front of you and his his coverage grades when there's anything kind of on the numbers or out on uh, go routes, fades, comebacks. Uh, any of that stuff. It's really good. Actually, it's uh, it's in the 70, 77.1. Anything to the inside, though, he does struggle with if it's coming inside slants, slants and goes and stuff like that. He has a in the hot in the low 40s for coverage grade. So his ability to, I think, be flexible at that position when they ask him to do those things. And he was asked to do that a lot because, as you mentioned, they like to throw the ball deep on those play actions from uh, Seattle. He's exceptional. But that's where I think when the coaching staff says that uh, Akella Witherspoon is coming back and he's the starter, it's those kind of things, the full body of work that I think Witherspoon has shown was much better. And he was still one of our highest graded corners, even though his snap totals obviously aren't going up any higher because he's been missing since week three. So uh, Mosley is, um, is fantastic when he's doing those things that are kind of in the structure of the, of the defense. And he gets credit for doing that. I don't want to take that away, but it's kind of the broader picture of, where can you attack? And I think he can be attacked. And uh, Arizona is one of the t- few teams that has done that. And we will get to that preview of the Arizona Cardinals. But let's first get to the rundown with David Newman, or where we review some coaching decisions. And before we do that, just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. David Newman calling from a secure location somewhere in the deep annals. Uh, I, I can't say that word without thinking of anal, so I'm just going to go and stop right there. <laughs> David, what's going on, dude? Uh, well, now I'm just thinking about anals. 
That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the, the Johnson rule is officially no longer because he got cut, of course, for the return of Selleck time. So, you know, we, we've lost the Johnson rule for the Better Rivals drinking game. But, you know, never fear. We've got lots of rules to help get you super drunk on whatever day you decide to drink. Uh, <laughs> too, many, too many rules. Lots of them. Even I forget them, especially when I'm tweeting. But, David, uh, all right, let's yeah. talk about this game uh, against... The uh, the friggin' Seahawks. So you, you reviewed the game for Pro Football Focus. And of course, we just had on the PFF media analyst for the 49ers, Thomas Frank. Uh, and we did a deep dive into the game. But I'm curious if there was anything from your game review of the grades, if there's anything that jumped out about the game that you thought was like, hmm, that's that's interesting. Oh, man. Um, I, I mean, I would say just the the stark, stark difference in quality of play on each side of the ball, you know, especially um when it, when it came to the passing game, I mean, it was just what they were doing defensively was so good. I mean, there were very few, uh, breakdowns. Um, you know, there was only really a couple, I would say like if, if you had to point and, and really get nitpicky and, and try to find, uh, a couple things that went wrong defensively, like it was maybe kind of, uh, some plays with the linebackers, but I mean, overall it was just kind of a lights out performance from them. And then the offense was just so bad like so bad in, in almost every way uh things in the passing game weren't clicking so i think i think it was just yeah how i mean that was like the immediate thing that jumps to mind is just how different um the levels of performance were on each side of the ball in this game now i was talking to my brother-in-law and he's in the bay area and he was like all right so here's what they're saying on the radio because he's he listens to it and he's like all right what do you think about this number one the coaching decisions apparently were getting uh, Shanahan was getting a little crucified for some of these decisions. First off, number of pass plays. Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers offense had 51 dropbacks, and they, of course, leaned heavily on the passing game from the get go. Do you think that was a smart decision to lean pass heavy against the Seattle defense? I mean, I'm always going to want to, I think, be pass heavy. Yeah, I, I think anytime that you're uh, throwing the ball more often. I mean, that's going to be generally better for your offense. I mean, um, now I, I mean, I can, I can understand the argument in this game where, you know, you're down to start your best weapon to throw to in George Kittle, you lose your next best weapon in Emmanuel Sanders during the course of the game. Um, and so maybe at, at that point you want to, you know, you think it makes sense to lean a little bit more on the run game, but uh, it's not like the run game was was really doing anything in this either. I mean, uh, we we talked after the Cardinals game and and talked about how that was basically one of their worst, if not the worst, game on the ground from like an efficiency standpoint. And this game was right in line with that. I mean, they they weren't doing anything running the ball. Um, and I think at that point, you've you've got a you know you have a quarterback that you would like to believe is someone that you can lean on, and and I think you kind of have to do that, even though. Uh, obviously that didn't go so well in this game, but I don't know that they had better, better options. Now, the other decision that he got a little bit roasted for was going for it in the third quarter on fourth and two. And of course the Niners do not convert and do not come away with any points. Was that a smart decision to go for it? Yeah, I think that was it. What the, it was like at the 33 yard line or something like that. Seattle's 33 yard line, like right, right in that ballpark. Yeah. And the score um, was 10 to seven and it was a fourth and two. Yeah. So, I, I mean, those are the situations you do want to be aggressive. I, I think um, you you never want to fault a coach for being aggressive in those type of situations, because typically that's going to give your team the best chance to win. Right. Um, I, I think when you start to get conservative and, and kind of play not to lose, especially with 
I mean, at that point, I don't think uh, had they, I don't think they'd even kicked the field goal yet. Right. They were down 10, seven. Um, exactly. And so you've got the, the backup kicker that you just brought in, you know, to replace Robbie gold. Um, you don't really know what you're going to get there yet. Like, I think that's a perfect situation to kind of go for it. Um, and try and get more than just, you know, a long field goal attempt on the board. And then, of course, at the very end of the game, the decision to throw three straight passes, three quick passes in overtime that only took 12 seconds off the clock. Do you think that Shanahan eventually should have just started off with the run, see what happened, and then maybe just played for the tie? I mean, playing for the tie, that's ridiculous. I agree. Um, that's I, I the one know. that pisses yeah, me off the most. I don't know how you even go to start to defend playing for a tie. I don't understand it either. Um, and like, that's the thing is, I, I, I'm like, okay, I one, you're absolutely right. Going for it was 100% the right decision. Maybe he should have gone for it in overtime instead of trying to kick the damn field goal. Uh, yeah, you know, And that's, sure. that's probably the only decision that I think I kind of agree with. I was like, yeah, you know what? It's fourth and one. You, you quarterback sneak it. You try to win the game there. Um, just as you try to win the game when you when you throw three consecutive quick passes in in overtime. And and Shanahan said, you know, like you, you want some of those to be gimmies and you think they're going to be gimmies and they weren't gimmies. And now all of a sudden it's third and ten. And you're like, well, shit, I got to throw. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense. But I, I don't I don't understand the logic of people that are like, yeah, let's have this like pay this money for Emmanuel Sanders. And I know Kittle and Sanders weren't there, but Jimmy Garoppolo offense and then like, hmm. Hold on. Let me just kneel a couple times for a minute so we can preserve this tie. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, and like even even if you wanted to go and, and make an argument that like for playoff odds or something like that, right, this was going to be give you like a better chance to win the division or, you know, what whatever like scenario you're trying to lay out like long term to why like obviously a tie is better for your winning percentage than uh, than a loss is like. You, you can't go out like if it happens, obviously it happens and, and whatever, but you, you can't go out and play for it in that situation. I mean, you've got when they took over just under two minutes to go, like that's time enough to drive down the field and try to get some points on the board. And so uh, I, I think just from a practical standpoint of like, what do you go in and tell? I mean, we don't really talk about this kind of thing often, but I think it's like pretty apt here where which is, is just how do you even go and tell your team this in the locker room, right? You're undefeated entering this game. You're, you're a team with aspirations of making a deep playoff run. And you're going to be like, you know what guys, I don't really, I think we're just going to pack it in today and let's hope this thing uh, kind of ends in a tie and it's going to be fine. Like, I, I don't even yeah. know how you go about trying to tell your team and justify that decision. I don't understand that either, which is exactly why I'm glad that we've got uh, a little bit of aggression in head coach Shanahan. So I think from a coaching perspective, those are really the only ones that that were that were problematic, I guess, for some people. But I think by and large, Shanahan, I think, played it perfectly. And, and so I've got yeah. I've got no no issues with any of his decisions there. And, and now you get to the injuries. Ronald Blair tore his ACL. But Demontre Moore back in the building. Uh, you know, the, the Corey Sheets was our future player of the preseason. He's back <laughs> uh, for those that forgot Demontre Moore or we're not listening to us this preseason, we were singing his praises. Remind us a bit about his performance, where he came from, uh, and why we think he's going to be a good rotational player for the Niners. Yeah, so I think he's just um, somebody that's kind of tried to go out and, and develop himself. I mean, he came in uh, you know, from, from A&M, like, didn't really do all that well in his first stint in the NFL, um, eventually wound up in the AFL, um, and played really well. 
uh, at that point was uh, our highest graded edge defender at PFF um, during the AFL's brief run there. And so that was performance was enough to kind of get him some looks, obviously, uh, from, from some teams in the preseason. And the then a- when a- he F got off the AFL again. Oh, Wait, what did I say? I was like, you said the know. AFL, and I'm over here sitting like, wait, the A. I was confused. Sorry, the AAF. I, I have tried so hard to block that <laughs> league from my memory. Um, you'll have to to forgive me with that. So, yeah, yeah, the AAF, sure, whatever. I don't care. XFL is gonna be the same thing. It's gonna be hopefully there for like a month and then gone. Um, but but anyway, he uh, uh, in whatever league that was played very well, right? And then came in obviously with the Niners, had a run during the preseason, played really well in his opportunities. There was a guy that kind of over the course of the preseason, we talked about like working as you know doing really well. When you're a guy that is with the twos and threes, you want to go out there and kind of dominate that, and that's going to hopefully earn you some reps against, you know, earlier in the game against some ones. And and he kind of went through that progression during the preseason and just kind of kept meeting every, every next challenge that you would like to see him. And so um, it, it obviously wasn't going to be a case where he was going to steal reps from guys like Bosa or Ford or anything like that, but did show, I think enough to be someone who can be a really solid rotational piece. And, and that's kind of what he's going to be asked to do. I mean, Blair had done a great job. I, mean, I think very much justified, you know, keeping him in that role with the way that he played over the course of the season. But I think more as a guy that hopefully can come in and, and really they don't take a huge step back from that position. Yeah. Ultimately in the preseason, he led all edge defenders with 17 pressures. And he of course led the 49ers in sacks with three. I think he's going to be a, a pretty good rotational piece. And so it's good to see him back in the building and it's good to see his story uh, where he's been able to really work on his game uh, and get on a regular season roster for a team that's, that's poised to contend here for a deep yep. playoff run. Uh, lastly, you know, the, the wide receivers, of course, were one of the stories of the game. They had a terrible, terrible game. Uh, but the, <laughs> the question the question really is, is there anything that you can think of that the team can do to fix it other than try to get more draft capital and draft all of them? Um, you know, the, the question, of course, has been floated as to whether or not the Niners should go up to someone like Des Bryant. Uh, is that something that you want to see the Niners do at this point in the season? No, no, nothing like that. I mean, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, unfortunately, like, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders was the guy that you brought in. Like that was your, your solving the wide receiver issue, right. We're or attempting to. And so, um, I mean, at this point in the season, you're just not going to have a lot of options available to you. And I don't think somebody like Des Bryant is going to come in and, uh, have any sort of impact for this team. Like, I don't, I don't really know what Des Bryant's going to be able to bring to the table at this point, just period. Um, and then coming in and, you know, the reason that Sanders was obviously able to come in and, and really integrate himself very quickly and become a guy right away that Jimmy can rely on is because he had experience with his offense, right. And, and could really step in and, and be pretty comfortable with what they were doing conceptually and have some terminology, uh, you know, be, be the same and have that stuff be easier to pick up on. And so it was a, a much better situation for him to be plug and play. You bring in somebody like Des Bryant, you're just not going to have that. And so I, I just don't know what that's going to do. It's not like he can come in right away and help you. And so if it takes him a month or whoever you bring in really, uh, is several weeks to kind of get up to speed and, and kind of get rolling to where they can actually contribute at that point, you're going to be hopefully getting your injured guys back, right? You're going to have Kittle and Sanders healthy and, and ready to go. And it's going to be kind of irrelevant anyway. So 
I, I think, yeah, they're just, it's unfortunate. It's kind of like the tackle situation earlier and they're just going to have to hope some guys step up and, and you get, you know, I think Debo was really the one guy that played pretty well in this game, um, had the one kind of, kind of bad drop, but, um, beyond that was really the only guy who was doing much of anything as a, as a pass target. So, um, I think they're just going to have to, I mean, make do with what they've got and hope some guys step up. Yeah. I think really the team should invest in like some stem cell research. I think they, they could probably invest a little <laughs> bit in that. Um, and either, you know, what well, one of two outcomes happens, either you figure out how to regrow rib cartilage and or knee ligaments, um, or <laughs> you regrow a George Kittle. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the, the end output of some stem cell stuff. At least that's what yeah, I found so far. I mean, can we clone George Kittle yet? Uh, if that's on the table, we should certainly look into that as an option. Yeah, that's actually, two, that's two why him. he's growing out his hair. So we can cut off just like an, a couple inches of those glowing locks and then put them in some. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. That's checks, checks out. Science. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, I'm sure you've got to get back to watching The Mandalorian um, or any of the things that you're doing now instead of watching football. Uh, you know, fun fact, I hear they named that show uh, because it's a man who's half DeLorean. And, and so now it's Mandalorian. I hope that's not true. <laughs> it's absolutely not true. That'd be the most ridiculous fucking thing. I know. Yeah, I'm just you know, just gonna throw it out there that I hope that's fake news. Yeah, no, that is absolutely fake news. But dude, it's yeah. good to hear your voice again. Uh, get back to all of the grades, uh, and and I'm sure we'll text here soon and, and catch up. All right, thanks, man. And now let's get to our preview of the upcoming game against the Arizona Cardinals. We are here with Thomas Frank Carr. He is Pro Football Focus's 49ers media correspondent. You know, and I think where we have to start with this preview is whether or not this game is indeed a must win for the 49ers because the loss against the Seattle Seahawks put them in a precarious position in the division. Of course, the Seattle Seahawks are undefeated in the division. The Niners now have one loss, and this is a game that the 49ers should win because they are a more talented team. But if they don't win this game, they find themselves in a really precarious position in the NFC race and more importantly in the division because if they do not win the division, they could end up being like an 11-win wildcard team, which is a really, really rough place to be. Do you think this is a must-win game? Yeah, I, I'm always hesitant to say things are must-win because we've seen the, the Chargers go in and beat the Packers when the Packers looked unbeatable. So uh, anybody can beat anybody. And that being said, it felt like the best chance that Arizona had to win that game was going to be on Thursday night football at home. And that was, I think, their best shot. We'll see. I could be wrong. That felt like it was their best shot. They do present some unique challenges because of their offense, because of Kyler Murray. But the, um, I think the difference is that you face two similar players basically three straight weeks in Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. But the, the fact is that the Seahawks are so committed to running the ball and being a power run team. I think that the Cardinals unlock Kyler Murray more so than the uh, the Seahawks do, which is obvious because at PFF, we're, we're begging the Seahawks to throw the football more. We're begging to put the ball in in their MVP's hands, and, and they don't do it consistently. Uh, Kyler Murray has, the I want to say, the second most or the fourth most passes of any quarterback in football as a rookie. So they're putting the ball in his hands and they do some unique things from a uh, schematic standpoint that I think can give them a chance in any game, just because if he has a good game as a runner and a thrower, he's going to keep them in most games. And he has so far basically in the last five weeks, he is our highest rated or third highest rated passer 
uh, over the last five weeks. So it, he's dangerous anytime you, you play him, but it feels like the way that the Niners defense is playing so far, if they didn't get him that night, they might not get him this time. Yeah, you know, I, I think it'll be curious to see whether or not the Cardinals go back to the same formula that they had against the 49ers a couple of weeks ago because they leaned, of course, pretty heavily on screens and zone reads. And the Niners, they only saw one screen against Seattle, but they did improve their run fits. And you can see that it was definitely, at least based on postgame comments, something that the coaching staff definitely focused on and making sure that the linebackers are able to kind of get players like Kenyon Drake back into the help yeah. of the defense and within the structure of the defense. So I think the, the difficult thing for the Niners, and if they are vulnerable against the Cardinals, it's going to be because you now have Buda Baker, who may not have to cover George Kittle. And now yeah. you've got Patrick Peterson, who may not have to cover Emmanuel Sanders. Those are two of the Cardinals' best defenders. And now you're going to have Peterson, probably not shadow covering, but anyone who lines up against Peterson, whether it be Kendrick Bourne or Demo Samuel, is probably going to get swallowed up by Peterson. He's not had a fantastic season, but he's still a very, very good corner. And you've got Buda Baker, who's, of course, going to be the piece that they move all over the place. And so uh, I think if you're looking at where the Niners are vulnerable, it's going to be because they are indeed injured. And so this is going to be another game where Jimmy Garoppolo may have to, just like he did a couple of weeks ago and just like he tried to do against the Seattle Seahawks, put the game on his shoulders. And, and I think that he won't have a couple of his security blankets to do it. Yeah, the the thing you mentioned about uh, run fits, I think, is super interesting. And, and that's where one of those areas where there's pluses and minuses to every player. Quan Alexander has a, a sub 30 tackling grade and his run defense was about in the same area, you know, south of 40. He's a great coverage player, but he's one of those guys that loves to guess. And I, I, I noticed in some of those screens and some of those zone reads and especially the outside zones, he would try to run over the top of a lot of the blocks and try and get to the running back before he you know could get into the open field and really what he did was he ran himself out of the play drake greenlaw doesn't freelance as much and that's one of those interesting things i'll say i'll be interested to see how much the rep split is between aziz al-shair and drake greenlaw in this game because those two guys uh have different skill sets greenlaw is a much better run defender he's just bigger and thicker than the rest of the, the linebackers so is he going to be put in conflict in space or his is his run stuffing ability is his discipline going to be a plus in the running game because you saw Kenyon Kenyon Drake from basically the first snap run wherever he wanted to and I think a lot of that was that undisciplined stuff from the linebackers because they're hyper aggressive they'll flow and they'll make some big plays but neither him or Fred Warner have high run defense grades and if we're gonna split hairs here at PFF we love coverage we want you to be better at coverage we want you to be good at everything though and and there's some been some times Quan Alexander and Fred Warner have not held up in the run game. It's kind of been shuffled, you know, shuffled under the carpet a little bit. It's been swept under the carpet by the fact that the defense is playing so well. But if there is a weakness, it is in that area of like, can you get on the outside? Can you get those linebackers to guess and go the wrong way? Or can you just run right over them? And both of those things have happened so far this season. So what does Dre Greenlaw change in that mix now that he's going to be in there for, I guess, the foreseeable future? That'll be fascinating to see how he responds in this environment with that spread offense in space, but being a run defender. Now, ultimately, I'm not sure that the snap distribution between Al Shayer and Greenlaw matters all that much because Al Shayer is going to be playing Sam. So he's probably not going to see the field a whole hell of a lot, just at least based on the number of four wide receiver sets that the Niners are going to see right. from the Cardinals, especially if they go up again, uh, as they did in the last game where they were up three scores against the Cardinals and the Cardinals now begin to throw, throw, throw. I think what will be really interesting is going to be whether Christian Kirk has another absolute monster game. 
you know, he is a candidate for positive regression because he's been targeted a ton over the last few weeks, but he had a really, really low touchdown total to show for it. And he, of course, explodes last week for three touchdowns. Hopefully you started him in your daily fantasy league. I know that I certainly did. And it helped out a lot, but he's really changed where he lines up over the last couple of weeks. And it really started with the Niner game. Up until the Niner game, he was lining up primarily in the slot. And against the Niners, it started this trend over the last couple of weeks where he lines up primarily on the outside of the formation. Of course, that puts him up against the Shermans or the Akella Witherspoon or perhaps Emmanuel Mosley's of the world. So that's going to definitely be a matchup to watch is whether or not he is going to continue his success and whether or not he's going to have another big game because the Niners were able to bottle him up in that game a couple of weeks ago. But Christian Kirk is definitely going to be part of a larger passing attack that has been able to threaten the 49ers and find some success. Yeah, it goes back to how much they throw the ball. And I think that's interesting to look at kind of the breakdown where I want to know how Kyler Murray is doing on the easy stuff and the hard stuff. So I I went and I looked at he is fourth in the NFL in the number of open or wide open throws. So they're scheming throws. And just by the way that they've uh, constructed the offense, there's a lot of easy throws. So he's got a lot of wide open throws, but he's also fourth in the NFL in the most contested throws. And that goes back to Christian Kirk. He's a good athlete. He's not somebody who's going to create a lot of separation. He doesn't have great separation numbers. And Larry Fitzgerald, all time great, but at this point, you know, kind of the same thing. Their ability to get Akilah Witherspoon back, have Kwan Williams, and then Emmanuel Mosley started the season playing a lot of that fourth slot corner. So he came in and was doing, you know, maybe 20 reps a game at the slot corner position opposite of Kwan Williams. What's the matchup there for them on that side of the ball? Uh, because, you know, he hasn't done as well when he's asked to cover the middle of the field. He's asked to cover those two-way goes. It'll be, that's, I think, who they line up at that situation in that fourth receiver set is going to be uh, a key matchup. But they've not been doing that as much lately. They started the season going four wide as their majority of the time, going uh, with just, uh, you know, one running back, four wide receivers. Max Williams has come in, and he's played very well for them in the past five weeks, which just kind of goes back to Kyler Murray's been playing a lot better since they've gone more to an 11 personnel, and they've been deploying that more in the last five weeks, and they've had a lot more success. I think it brings a little more balance to their offense, and they realize that. Plus, it gets one of their better receivers on the field. Yeah, you know, you don't think that the Niners run a lot of dime, and, and they don't. I think they're probably their dime snaps is probably somewhere in the somewhere in the low teens in terms of how frequent they run it. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see whether or not they do end up putting that sick defensive back on the field. I don't think they will necessarily, uh, unless of course you get to the oh we're up by three scores and it's the third or fourth quarter. Uh, you might see a bit more of that, but ultimately, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not the coverage unit can rebound because the Cardinals, even more so than the Seahawks, were really the only team that found success against the 49ers coverage unit. They 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 were more successful than I think any other team so far this season, seeing over half of their passing plays going for positive EPA, which is not something that you see often happen against the 49ers defense. And so it, we'll see if they're going to come out with another screen-heavy, zone-read-heavy offense um, and, and if the coverage unit can recover and if they're going to learn from their mistakes. Because on the other side they're going to have to have someone step up a pass catcher. Odds are Kittle misses another week. Shanahan told the Arizona reporters that they won't have Kittle, um, but he wouldn't rule him out for Bay Area reporters. So who knows? Maybe there's some subterfuge involved in there, but I'm probably not banking on Kittle playing next week against the Arizona Cardinals. And Sanders with rib cartilage, the dude could be out at any moment. You get one hit over the middle and it's like all of a sudden you re-aggravate it and he's gone. 
Um, yeah. And so someone's going to have to step up. I, I, I don't think it's going to be Ross Dwelly, surprisingly. I know. Newsflash. I know. Um, so it'll, I, I think Shanahan's probably going to go back to some more of the, the quick throws because now you've got Chandler Jones. And you've got Chandler Jones versus Justin School, who between School and Brunskill was the worst of the two backup, backup yeah. tackles. And, and so that's the thing that I'll be watching against Arizona is really Chandler Jones versus School and the Rusty Tackles, which sounds like a band or a movie. Not sure which one yet, um, but Chandler Jones. I'm going to go with band. I'm going to go with band. I yeah, like that. School I like that. Rusty like, Tackles. Yeah, yeah. Duran Jones and the Indications is, is one of my favorite bands. And Chandler Jones versus School and the Rusty Tackles. It's like you're a trombone away from making that like a high school band. Um, yeah, or a ska band. I like the idea of them being a ska yes. band. You mentioned trombone. I'm all in. A ska band. That's right. So, and you said you couldn't do the Dak dance. Now I'm just imagining I'm imagining you ska dancing somewhere in like some high school gym. This this. Oh, absolutely! I'm good at running into things. That's one of the things I'm really good at is throwing elbows and running into people. Well, Chandler Jones, uh, someone who throws not necessarily elbows, but he definitely throws tackles because he's got 44 pressures on the year. He's playing really at a top 10 level. And when you look at what School did against the Cardinals, he was pretty terrible, uh, especially in protection against the Cardinals. So if Chandler Jones has his way. Like this is the the part of the game that wor- that's worrisome if you're a Niners fan because all of a sudden it's like okay Chandler Jones could do what he did what Jadavian Clowney did and begin to disrupt Jimmy Garoppolo in the pocket. You've got no pass catchers and you've got a an offense in Arizona that's uniquely qualified to pass the ball and who's found success passing the ball. While I do think this is the game the Niners should win, it's definitely not going to be a gimme. It's not going to be easy. But I do think that it's a must win if the Niners are going to be talking about first or second seed in the NFC. Yeah, absolutely. If you're talking about that, if you're talking about playoffs, I think that there's a lot of ways to get the playoffs. But if you're if you're talking about home field advantage and first and second seed. Yeah, I mean, you you can't afford to lose lose too many games, especially to a a team that is maybe going to finish 500. I I do think that the Cardinals are a little better um, and they're getting better. And that's the thing is, I think they're getting better. And the more they integrate Annie Isabella into the game, they add a more of that dynamic threat. Uh, Going back to Buda Baker, he leads all safeties in the NFL with 35 stops, almost by double digits. Like he's almost got 10 more than the next guy, Jabril Peppers. So not having Kittle, who obviously is a plus run blocker, if that is Dante Pettis, say, in the slot, and they use him on Dante Pettis, not only is that a disadvantage in the passing game, now you're adding an extra linebacker at the line of scrimmage so all of the zone plays and all of the outside zones that the 49ers might want to try, you've got another really good run defender who can come in and make tackles, kind of like you know K1 Williams uh, on the other side of the ball. That's going to be a challenge dealing with Buda Baker in the run game as well. And I know a safety in the run game, you know, you can find a bunch of those. But when you have that sort of unique ability to to mix and match matching coverage with um, with Buda Baker, that's going to be an issue. Well, overall, I think the Niners will win this game. I certainly don't think they're going to cover the spread again in this game. The spread is 11 so far, at least out there in the the market, and the over-under is 45. So uh, I think the Niners win, but they don't end up covering the spread. What do you think happens? Yeah, I don't think they have the offense right now. They would have to get, I don't know, a great game for Raheem Mustard. Like, they they were able to run the ball between the trend, you know, up the middle, get some of that stuff that they were doing at the beginning of the season if the, if they don't get that uh and they have to rely on the passing game I, I don't see them being able to put up a lot of points in this game so i, I wouldn't uh i wouldn't agree that they covered the spread either all right awesome well thanks for joining for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast where can they follow you on twitter uh that's at pff49ers you can follow me at better rivals and as always go niners <laughs>